Have you ever noticed that if you ask 10 people what corporate diversity and inclusion means, you'll get 10 different answers? We invite you to join us for the Inclusion Score podcast as we discuss the standardization of corporate diversity and inclusion. I'm Karen Prater Jasmine, Chief Data Officer at Inclusion Score. And I'm James Felton Keith, CEO at Inclusion Score. We'll meet with leading experts, academics, diplomats, and business people about how to methodologically deliver corporate inclusivity across your organization's governance, HR, product delivery, and supplier diversity. Let's focus on getting DNI right, because if you've worked where we've worked over the years, you know that a bad system beats good intentions any day. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Inclusion Score podcast. Um, this is a special edition. It's an excerpt from a conversation that Ethnis uh, Henderson and I had about the difference between the global diversity, equity, and inclusion benchmark, the GDEIB, which was a benchmark framework based out of the UK that, to my knowledge, is now defunct, or at least the organization that ran it is defunct. But we've been receiving a lot of inquiries about the GDEIB uh, as of late. And so just wanted to address and differentiate and talk around um, some of the benefits, but also some of the shortcomings that we think that we have accounted for with the new international ISO 30415 standard. So uh, hopefully this conversation gives you some context and we can uh, move forward from there. We'd love to have any questions from you. Feel free to email us uh, as usual at hello at inclusionscore.io. Hello at inclusionscore.io as in input output. Uh, enjoy. And then they focus on things like recruitment, advancement, compensation, flex, and benefits and flexibility. It's pretty somewhat similar to what the ISO standard does. Uh, the ISO standard does more in terms of identifying outcomes, actions, measures, and accountabilities than I, I think this particular tool does. Um, they also have a, you know, sort of three areas, internal, external, uh, what they call bridging, and foundational work, uh, which is the work of setting the stage, putting in place the structure, the leadership and the vision and so forth. The external is really focused on things like social responsibility, products and services, marketing and uh, sourcing and all that. Um, so it has a, has some of the similar features of the, uh, of the ISO standard. Uh, what I said, uh, there are 15, let me just, I'm just pulling up a document that might just give you a little bit more background. Uh, so basically they said, they, they, they talk about the five different ways you can come at a DEI assessment. They talk about things like competence, uh, really with the focus on improving skills and knowledge or compliance, looking at laws and regulations, uh, to, um, they say dignity, you know, which really gets at the value and respect and interconnectedness of people. Um, Organizational development is another area, and social justice was the fifth area that they have uh, formulated in, in their strategy. The um, the model itself has is sort of a triangle. I don't know if you've seen it. If you go online and just Google GDEIB, yeah, you can get it. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Yeah, 
so you've seen it so you know those categories the assessment levels and so forth yeah so what here's here's my notes on the comparison you know for example i say the iso standard focuses on both outcomes desired in critical areas the identification of gaps you know associated with those outcomes and presents a set of actions and metrics to aid the development of framework for change uh, what I say is that GDIB focuses on the current state while the ISO standard presents a way to structure sort of an intentional organizational change strategy. Uh, the uh, GDIB tool, uh, you know, I say provides a useful guidance in examining current practices and identify some potential gaps against established external benchmarks, but they're fairly lofty in the way they're written, in yeah. my view. Uh, and uh, they don't bring you down to what I call practices and uh, systemic uh, kinds of intervention. You have to kind of dig at that a bit uh, with the, with the two. It's fairly, I thought it was fairly weighty. And if you're going to engage a, um, a working group or a leadership team in understanding, it takes a fair amount of time to kind of drill through that and to go through it. But there's, you know, you have to have sessions right you have to i mean you just don't read it and get it i mean it takes a bit of uh, right work so that's that to me that's the the, the challenge with the uh, gdib it's it's a good tool if it's being designed and if it's being used by say a working group that has been tasked with kind of rolling up their sleeves uh doing this when uh, when they've got doing this at a time when they don't have to worry about the other work, I guess it's what I was going to say. Uh, and um, so that was my that was my take on it. If you look at the standard itself, it you know the things are fairly high level. There's they they have this uh, this assessment uh, methodology where it's like five uh, five stages. I'm trying to see if I can find where those are. Yeah, you know they rate you know from inactive, reactive, proactive, progressive best practices and I think in in the inclusion score tool you you have something similar right I mean, yeah it's a maturity it's, model yeah that it's, it's more of a maturity model and and I guess this is the same thing but it's uh, the the way that you, you can get lost in how how you go about doing the evaluation because you have so many uh, different elements of it and in my mind I like to keep things a lot more simpler you know Let's yeah. kind of talk at high level, and then let's uh, focus on what makes makes sense. But uh, I, I, I'm very familiar with the tool. I've actually given some uh, presentation. I actually think I have another presentation that's probably better than the one I'm reading from here. But uh, I, I know a lot about it, and uh, I have a copy of it. And I know that uh, it has some usefulness to it, but I, yeah. in my view, the ISO standard is a better standard uh, to bring it down to what do we do? What kind of actions do we, you know, uh, think we need to take in place and uh, put in place and, and so forth. Yeah. No, so I, that's, yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's kind of what, all I'll say right now. Well, no, well, that, that makes sense. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to see that presentation, but we were, again, we were engaged by a company and they were some of their in-house, you know, consultants, experts, I guess, you know, you could call them. We're talking about the GDIB. Um, and I was making a comparison. This particular company was looking to build out a, um, 
yeah, they want to do a deep dive in employee resource groups. So we were in the inclusive culture portion of the ISO standard, and we referenced, you know, that question that asks, you know, explicitly, do you have ERGs? You know, it's, it's more wordy than that, but do you have ERGs? And we looked at some base internal policy that this company had, and they were pretty exclusive. It was like they can establish ERGs, but it stated explicitly in the policy that individuals should still come to the organization. So it didn't really give any power or usefulness to the ERGs as organizations to uh, give feedback uh, you know, as a brain trust for the organization. But in talking to this company, I was like, if you reference the, the statement in the ISO right before the statement that asks about even if you have ERGs, it asks about feedback mechanisms. Right, which every other standard that we've looked at, you know, whether they've been one-off standards or some kind of consensus of subject matter experts, whether it be the G, uh, DEIB, or um, there's this there's this other thing called Revise that that we're looking at uh, that the NSF had access to and, and a few others, but they don't have structured questions that provoke the auditing and editing and output uh, per your earlier mention of you know more robust tools specific to DEI and B across the board and anyway um, so yeah so that's that's why it came up but m- more broadly than that um, you know this project that we're By the working- way, if oh, you're ever looking for coaching or guidance on ERGs, you know, I, um, I've got a lot of, in fact, I'm actually working on uh, the difference between diversity councils and ERGs and, and really how to structure, how to build the leadership, how to uh, roll out sort of a, a project plan for ERGs, what they should do, what they're not, what kind of boundaries you need to set for them, uh, how feedback, how they are used to provide feedback uh, to the organization on um, on DEI types of issues for their particular affinity group or um, you know identity group and so forth. Yeah. So I, I've done done a lot. Now one of the things, just to give you a, a heads up about some research I'm doing now, it's it's a question I'm trying to answer for myself about uh, can ERGs as they were originally structured. Uh, will they survive as the millennials and the Gen X and Y and Gen Alpha start to enter the workplace uh, who have what I'd call uh, more of an adaptive model of identity. Uh, and, and so a pure um, specific identity group based strategy for ERGs may not be sustainable as these new folks come into the workplace. I'm just, I'm just testing that assumption right now. They are still necessary and they still should have focus on specific groups, but there's this concept of fluidity that's emerging where people don't want to necessarily be defined by one particular right uh, group, uh, you know, aspect of their uh, identity and so forth. Some people feel that they're more fluid. It's both, both from a racial and cultural standpoint, but also from a sexual orientation and all of those. So the question is, as you start to design going forward, ERGs, uh, should you be 
thinking and anticipating kind of kind of the mindset of these young professionals that are coming in who have a whole different frame of reference about um, diversity and the importance of ERGs and so forth. So just a just something to think about. No, I like it. Uh, I think well, number I think that ERGs will will stand up. I think what we'll see, or at least what I would hope to see, especially meeting some of these younger people, is that they they do more floating around on the various policy work that might be going on. Not even policy work, but also execution, like whatever the ERG is leading per that organization, whatever sort of external you know, infrastructure they're building or internal infrastructure they're building, that those people you know, participate more as they have, you know, things to add. I think even when I think about different, you know, ethnic groups or, or racial groups, you know, overlapping with ethnic groups and how people think that they can participate in value that they can add and context that they can add. Um, right. And, yeah. and you're, you're raising a, a really good point because that's kind of the way that we, uh, when I managed ERGs at Warehouser and we had eight uh, prior to my leaving, uh, in retiring, uh, we had uh, the leaders of each of the uh, ERGs form what I call I call it a steering committee or a coordinating committee because there are a lot of over to your point overlapping things, yeah. and you needed those different points of view and perspectives to inform some things. So you wanted to invite, even if so, for example, if you're creating a program for Martin Luther King Observance uh, Weekend, yeah. uh, you know, how do you, how do you invite other demographic groups to participate in that, even though it may be hosted, say, by the Black Employees Alliance right. and so forth. So it's, if you're, you're absolutely right. You want to create those mechanisms for that cross fertilization and uh, collaboration. And the other part of that is that you can share resources. You don't get, uh, a lot of activities kind of getting, uh, set up at the same time. So there's a lot of duplication and conflict uh so there's some, some other reasons why they're important to to do that way as well no yeah totally i think they, they provide real functional coordination i mean even when i think about events that i've done in june around june i do a lot on you know these days juneteenth is like crazy for me because it's it's pride month and it's black stuff and they overlap mm -hmm. and i'll get calls to do talks and they'll again they'll be hosted by you know, one or both of those affinity groups or ERGs at a company. And yeah, they're both coordinating timeline. They're both coordinating uh, like q and I spoke at a big water company recently in Texas and the Q&A that they wanted to pull, they wanted to pull from both orgs. And you know, the, the kids in the LGBT group were had different questions than the, the kids in the, the black group. Uh, or I shouldn't say kids. I mean, they were they were people from you know young adults, right? <laughs> yeah, it was like they were focused on their younger employees at that that company. So these are like people under forty. But I mean, you know, they've been you know working for a while. And there were other people in observance, but they allowed you know the the young folks to ask some some questions. And I was just saying at the end, I was like, look, some of these issues are relatively new, and if you got other listeners, I think, and I'm sure. There are some interesting questions from some folks who've been working longer than me. So I think I get the focus and look, their ERGs selected that focus and that may have something to do with whatever's going on there internally. It's something I may not, you know, be privy to, but, um, but yeah, there, there's some coordination. So I just, I think that's why in inclusion score, we talk a lot more about 
we try to bucket all the categories. Like there's a new debate around indigenous peoples and if it should be a separate group. And I think it falls into ethnic among other groups. It falls into racial groups. It falls into you know, economic and income and background upbringing groups. But the way we bucket things per that diversity inclusion service management framework uh, on top of the ISO is we add those buckets to say a company may have one ERG or it may have, you know, a hundred. I've seen a credit rating agency in Chicago have a hundred because they've got micro groups, especially in the women's ERG. They've got the different ethnic groups. They've got parents. They've got age groups. They've got subcategories that have separate ERGs. But the thing is, um, I think that the buckets still exist especially from a legal standpoint on the arguments people get to make about retaliation and discrimination of sorts, which is why I'm trying to think about it more as a, a process guy than a DEI guy. And even if certain individuals touch a lot of different groups, I think the ask is that if they have time and the ERG's intentions are structured, can they chime in? For instance, if we're, if they're looking at, again, uh, a document that they're trying to deploy an MLK event on, how we engage and ask other folks to participate may be very culturally specific to the point where even black people might not understand, like, how can we get, you know, the, the white identifying employees over here to, to come and participate? We love them to see what we've got to show, right? Or just other folks in general. Um, well, that's yeah. Well, that's that's part of, uh, and I'm sure you you've looked at what I call the concept of chartering a new employee resource group. And what we did, uh, and what 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 I encourage when I'm working with my clients is to uh, uh, let ERGs be a demand pull. Don't legislate or say we're going to create ten uh, ERGs. Let employees decide. Say we're open. Here, here's the chartering process. Here are the things that have to be in place if a new group wants to form around an issue. One, it's got to be open to everyone. Two, you you want to be collaborating with other uh, ERG groups. Three, it's got to be designed to address or help provide input to leadership on a particular uh, uh, point of view about a um, DEI issue relative to that group uh, and so forth. So, I mean, and... Um, you have to have, I mean, you have to have a certain number of members and generally in terms of financial support, there's typically a, a budget of sort and it's designed for things like uh, employee development or training, education or recruitment, whatever it is that uh, you designed it around. Um, and in those cases, you want to make sure that they're collaborating with every group so it doesn't feel like it's only for black employees. It's, you know, they have a focus on black uh, black employee issues at work, but it allows people to weigh into that, lean into it, who might be allies uh, or want to participate in it as well. So it has to be inclusive, uh, even though it's focused on a particular uh, demographic. Right. No, yeah, no, I, I love it. Yeah, I think... That is that is the way forward, and I do think we'll see people moving around a lot more, uh, especially when you get into the the gender space and, and who participates and who doesn't. As again, as these younger people start to come into work, you know, I think I saw that report. Yeah, 
Oh, good. And the other the, the other part of it is it you know you, there's not a cookie cutter approach. There's no one size fits all because you've got some very large organizations, and the question becomes one. So, for example, if you wanted to create a women's group at a at, at Amazon, for example, yeah, uh, and you want to start it at corporate headquarters, why if someone in different locations and businesses um, want to set up a women's group? Does it have to fit the criteria that's established by the group at corporate? Can't they have something completely different and unique? Uh, my, my guidance would be that you want to have a, a standard for a particular demographic group and that those would be uh, affiliates or, or chapters of the company's efforts in an area, but not a, not 15 or 20 different groups and so forth. And it would be then you'd have to think differently about the structure and uh, the leadership of those groups and so forth. Right. No, totally. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah. Especially in that category, uh, you know, just women being 50, maybe even 51 percent of the population uh, in most places in, in this country and globally. Um, yeah. I, I'm often talking with clients about look at how they org chart the structure of those ERGs is how they're able to extract data. And, I agree with you. It's not that one size fits all. The the new analogy that we've been using to make it make sense to people is uh, a table setting uh, analogy. We basically say, look, because we know that the general language is DEI is different everywhere. It's like, well, sort of. Like even though we may have dinner differently in different places, you know, what's for dinner is different in different places. The ideal table setting is still the ideal table setting. And, though you may elect to add things and take things away from that table setting, you know, like a soup spoon or a salad fork or, you know, other things, um, your company should pick, right? Or the people at your dinner table should pick what's on the table, right? So, and I agree with you about the chartering process. The, you know, when I meet firms, again, I was talking to a, a firm out, out, way out west where where you are but in in the sticks uh and they were talking about i think it was because i was on the call he was like okay we're going to talk about black and white issues i was like look i don't know if there's a, a a significant black population where you live you need to go to your employee body and see who works there and you may do a an extraordinary job with regards to inclusivity around veterans and pregnant women and Again, other protected classes that the EEOC is looking at uh, around retaliation, discrimination. Uh, no one's asking you to engage the issues that your employees don't tell you who they are. And the the last thing I'll say about that is, as we talk about DIMB as a business process, we're always going to companies and saying you have to identify the client first. Meaning the ERG is usually the client. You know, if there are 4,000 women in your organization and you have 40 of them in a series of ERGs, they're representing all of them and they're telling you what they think would be best for International Women's Day. You shouldn't do the guess and check work. Same with, you know, other racial and ethnic groups, et cetera. And so we try to use that language of they're identifying the client. And if you, you run a campaign to ask everyone to review what they would need to charter a new ERG. You start your DEI and B efforts 
with the folks that you can get in the ERG. Knowing, of course, in categories like LGBT and categories like neurodivergence, it's going to be, or at least what we've seen historically, is that it's more difficult to get folks to identify with those groups. So you may have to be more thoughtful, nurture that along, along, bring in some consultants. But wherever people are telling you they exist and that they need resources, you you start there. I think a lot of the folks that we meet who are in these roles are they they admit that they're not knowledgeable about you know what to do and where to start, and we're like, well, you start start where your constituents are, start where your employees are, start where your customers might be telling you to start. But even if your customer or someone outside is telling you where to start, um, you've got to figure out what you can do. And, and the first thing I think you have to do is identify a customer. Um, and it makes me think about, again, that water company I mentioned earlier. They wanted to join the LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And I just said, I think that's dangerous if you can't identify folks in your LGBT ERG that want to help guide you into, or your procurement team rather, into that supplier diversity effort with the Chamber of Commerce, because I've seen companies send the wrong people or unmanaged people to the LGBT Chamber, and they are noticeably uncomfortable in different spaces because they have Mm -hmm. no idea how to interact in those spaces. Um, And they've been other minorities. I'm thinking about a bunch of, you know, black men I know, uh, you know, of a certain age who are like, I've had one come to me and say, hey, I never hugged a trans person before. And everyone's, you know, walking up at this conference and hugging. I'm like, they're not going to bite you. But also, all I could think about in my head as an insurance guy is this is a liability. You shouldn't even be here alone at the company's desk talking about supplier diversity and recruiting and you name it. So... I think you have to identify that customer first. I think the, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was gonna, I, I agree with that. The way I, I've been approaching in recent years, ERGs, the reason why they are important in an organization is that they're designed to help the organization and employees in that organization be more successful. And so uh, we, we start, or I, I advise clients to start with, uh, when people ask why we're we creating as well, we're trying to create uh, a venue where employees uh, who represent a certain set of identities who may f- uh, be marginalized or not well represented in the organization can provide and help the organization by giving feedback and coaching to leaders on how to more effectively uh, serve that market. For example, uh, just to give you an example, um, we did have one client where I'm going back a few years where, where they were thinking about a new product innovation. And I said, and, and it was targeted to a particular demographic. You would want to invite someone in the, uh, in your ERGs who may have a perspective on that from a customer point of view, uh, is, or, or even things like marketing, if you're getting ready to go with a, uh, ad campaign or something like that. Uh, and uh, you want people to say, are we being inclusive and what's missing out of this ad campaign or, you know, in, ter- in terms of target markets, the, the approach and so forth. So for me, it's, it's these, the, these groups, these ERGs are, are there for a business purpose. Now, they are not, that's the other thing that we, we tell folks, they are not to take the place of uh, 
your labor relations or your uh, your human resources functions right. you know in terms of, of those processes that need to be managed uh, through through that those those organizations but they are there to help create more of a inviting a sense of belonging and to help the company be more successful so that's kind of one of the things uh, you know so if they start to go into areas like uh, grievances about pay or benefits or so forth that's an HR issue right uh, if, if it's an issue with how they're being served in the union that's a union or labor relations issue right so trying to create boundaries as well around kind of the work of the and trying to keep them focused on uh, things what I typically say is if you've developed your, your organizational commitment statement you want them working on things related to that uh that will help to operationalize what what you know you said as a commitment statement in terms of actions and outputs and so forth yeah so yeah. anyway that's that's just sort of, so the gdib i mean in that sense going back to the original question you posed yeah. uh i think is okay but you have to have an ability to kind of tease that information out to make it more meaningful and practical for people right. uh, because of the way the way it's written and because it's fairly dense. I think there's uh, about 150 pages in that uh, document. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think that's too much, uh, particularly when you're working with leaders and so forth. Yeah, no, totally. I, I agree 100%. <laughs>